Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals interview non-air quotes real professionals. As always, we've got a really cool one for you today. we got uh, The Veil, the, the team behind The Veil, Falling Squirrel Studios, which is a game played entirely by sound. It's, it's designed to be accessible to uh, people that are visually impaired. And when I saw that, I was like, that's really cool. We need uh, not only more accessible games, this is something you've heard on this podcast before, but... We also uh, need to explore new spaces and how to design games. And uh, this is a, a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about that space. So if you uh, are uh, an activist for that kind of thing, if you have a, a family member who's visually impaired who wants to get into gaming, then uh, this episode is for you. So DJ, drop that sick beat. Welcome back, guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, I pretty much said in the intro, uh, we got David Evans and Jamie Robaz here from Falling Squirrel Studio, who are respectively uh, two people that work there at positions that can talk about it. Uh, and uh, we were, I was trying to get their official titles like before the podcast because I like at least pretend to like to know what I'm doing. But it's an indie studio, so you guys kind of like do a lot of everything, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm the, the director and Jamie's the producer. We keep each other honest with that division. I don't know if there's anything specific you want to say about what you do, Jamie. No, that's accurate. <laughs> Excellent. Off to a good start. So, Jamie, when you're producing the game, uh, sitting in the mills of the of the gaming the, the the gaming troughs and crafting them together with your hand, what exactly does it mean to be a producer? Uh, so, a producer means a lot of different things for, I guess, a lot of different producers. Uh, it can vary from uh, game to game and studio to studio. Uh, for this project, production for me involves a lot of pre-production, uh, a lot of work with regards to getting funding, doing market research, uh, figuring out how viable it is to make uh, a game like this, Um Keeping Dave on his toes is always uh, a fun task, and uh, I deal with a lot of the community management and outreach and coordinating with um, the other companies that we work with, like the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. Um, and as much as I can do, I try to take things off of Dave's plate so he can focus on directing. Yeah, I, and that's the funny thing is that uh, producer for video games is a different term than it is for film because like a lot of times i try to like because uh the the company I, I come from the world of film originally and like my line of work um <clears throat> and i try to explain to people like what a producer does for a games because in, in movies the producer like gives you money and then you make the movie <laughs> that's just that's it that's like really all they're all they do so but in games it is like a lot more of a, a hands-on process it's almost like we need a new it's almost like the term producer needs to be redefined to be someone that produces something rather than just the guy who gives it money <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you, I think you find that there's in AAA producers who, you know, for all intents and purposes, are doing the same thing as a game director. Uh, you know, they're on cameras, they're doing interviews, they're manning the team. And then there are producers uh, that are totally internal for other projects or other studios. So it, mm -hmm. it does seem to be a bygone title. Yeah, and that's the thing is that well, it, I think it's necessarily loose the term producer because sometimes you want a producer that is very very hands on, but sometimes you want a producer that's just giving you guys money and letting you do whatever the fuck you want, you know? 
Yeah, and and by the way, Jamie's main role um, really is 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 as a frontman uh, for the community um, mm-hmm. in this specific. And it's because it speaks to his strong suit, which is being a nice person and connecting with people and being smart about um, how how to engage with uh, with communities and that sort of thing. So that's really been his focus. Whereas yeah. mine's been more on the uh, I've I've taken on the the crappier producer type jobs, which is the uh, <laughs> like just the the financial side of things and stuff. Uh, and then oh. of course the other big thing he alluded to was was the the funding side. There's a lot of stuff we have to do. Uh, to, to get funding. Um, we're, we're out of Canada, so there's quite a bit of opportunity for funding for projects. And that's been a big part of his work too, is, is securing, securing money. So there's a money side to yeah. it. Just not his money. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I uh, could uh, grasp the skills of being friendly and personal to get things. I, I've just relied on my roguish good looks for a long time, but now I'm getting old <laughs> and those are fading and I'm not sure what to do. It's like uh, my position in the world is is to deter- you remember like when Kylo Ren stabbed Han Solo at the end of that one Star Wars movie? It's like that, but with life. It's just stabbing me in the chest. Like I'm like, no, like this is how I've lived. It's just lightsaber through the heart. That's when you become a producer. That's, that's- <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how right you are. Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, uh, continuing on, um, let's actually talk about the game we're here to talk about today, <laughs> uh, The Veil. Um, yeah, so I feel like a lot of people that are listening in today are either going to be people that are uh, already have already heard of the Veil and want to learn more, or people that just you know listen to the podcast and like don't really know exactly what this game is because it is a very specific kind of um, niche. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give us really quick your pitch on the Veil? Um, the Veil is an action adventure game uh, that takes place in a medieval setting. We we chose the setting because it has a lot of uh, great, uh, noisy, uh, combat elements, um, swords and shields and, and armor and that sort of thing. Um, and essentially it's, uh, it, from an adventure story standpoint, you follow the, uh, story of a, uh, a, a princess second to the in line to the throne who is lost out in, uh, the wilds and is trying to return home, uh, to her family. And through that, she basically, learns all sorts of secrets about her family and the world and magic and, and that sort of thing. So it, it's, it's fairly has a, it starts in a place that's very typical of, of medieval based action adventures. Um, but the, the narrative's fairly deep and goes in interesting places. So um, uh, yeah. it's, it's yeah meant, meant to be pretty robust, certainly for an all audio game. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry to, to compact that to the length of a regular elevator ride. Uh, the Veil is um, an action-adventure game that's made uh, with all audio. Uh, so even though there's no visuals, it's still designed to uh, be a mainstream gaming experience that has all of the full-featured mechanics and narrative um, and length of uh, any other cited indie game. Mm-hmm. So how did the idea for creating this kind of unique experience come about? Well, it, it started, I mean, I, I guess I, I walked backwards into this idea of, of um, any kind of accessibility or advocacy. I, I'm, uh, I came out of a film background and uh, I worked in AAA as a cinematographer and I eventually uh, started becoming a game, a game director and 
the first game outside of, of working with a, another studio that I wanted to make was something I felt like I could leverage some of the things I was good at and things I could do re- relatively cheaply. So I liked working with actors. Um, I liked writing. And I thought, hey, if I do a game without visuals, I, I can do most of the things um, on my own uh, or at least with a very small team. Uh, but very quickly, uh, I realized, oh, this would obviously – have a potential application for for people who uh, are uh, low vision or blind, and I thought uh, maybe they they would they would be interested in something like this. So I I went over to the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, told them what I was doing, and obviously there were there were people very interested in in games in that community, and uh, I partnered with them pretty quickly in terms of setting up play testings, testing out the mechanics, figuring out what would make it play well for them, but never really losing sight of, of my original intent as a sighted person, which was a novel experience. So the game ends up playing to these two different places, a novel yeah. experience for somebody who's sighted and then an accessible game experience for someone who's visually impaired. I think that's one of the the real quick here. What something that's interesting is that um, the 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 term the terminology used for blind people. So one of my my friends was born uh, without eyes, and you know they use the term sighted versus uh, for the people that are uh, uh, people with the the fully functioning vision versus visually impaired because there's like a big spectrum of it. Mm-hmm. And um, what she was saying is that like so much of our language is built around uh, like you know I want to see this and. Don't worry about saying that. You're not going to offend anyone yep. by saying yes. that. You know, you know, once they get the once they get to see the product, like, you know. Um, but I, I, that's the thing. That's the funny thing is that whenever I was hanging out with her, and we were meeting new people, they were always like really, really like cautious about saying things uh, about because it's like you know a lot of people aren't going to see um, uh, a blind person in their day to day life unless they they know someone that is or a family member something like that and. Um, it's 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 i always like to to see when that is being like when when a product is being created for that community because um it's very easy for them to become invisible because it's hard for them to be uh what's the word i'm looking for um they, they it, yes because they because you you usually only care about the things the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis and yep. a lot of people don't have that opportunity so it's like oh how do how do you bring awareness to this so that people care about a thing that is so easy for them to ignore because uh, it's it's easy to ignore the things that you don't constantly interact with. And um, that's why I was like, you know, when I saw this, I was like, okay, so, you know, how do you feel like this is bridging the gap between uh, sighted gamers and, you know, people with who are visually impaired? Um, so uh, one of the things that we started looking at um, – right after Dave went to the CNIB was doing market analysis. And we realized that there are people who've done similar things before, but a lot of the existing audio games fell into a few categories. Either they were um, made by hobbyists who just wanted to see that something like this existed, um, or they were made by people who weren't necessarily developers. And what ended up happening is we would see games that would be either popular or successful, but they wouldn't necessarily be well-rounded. Either they would have lower production values in terms of voice acting or the game mechanics mechanics would lack polish and uh, we realized we found ourselves in a really unique uh, position 
to leverage our experience um, or Dave's experience in cinema and games and my experience in games um, along with the resources of the CNIB to make something that fills this niche and is also of a high quality. So we are hoping that the quality of the game um, along with the novelty of it is what is bridging that gap between the blind low vision community and mainstream gamers. But yeah. almost, sorry, go ahead, Dave. I just wanted the one thing I wanted to add, just to make sure I point out that there are a few games that that are are pretty good um, yes. and pr- have good production value, um, but it comes down to uh, if you're somebody who uh, is uh, is visually impaired or low vision, and uh, you like games, and a uh, high quality uh, game comes along once a year, that's that's quite a gap. So right. I, I feel like even though there, I just want to make acknowledge that there are some pretty good games in this space. They they come by fairly rarely, um, and uh, so it's it's certainly a space that not only it's not even just sort of coming in to to, to be able to to provide something that's not there for people. It's also the aspect of, is if this is successful or if other people are more aware that these games can be made. Maybe there's other applications of the content and I don't know like Alexa and, and Google Home or something like that. Um, that there is uh, there's a lot of room here mm-hmm. for for content um, before you would have any uh, issues with saturation. I mean, it's one of those few spaces yeah. in games where I'm like, wow, there's you know, I would love to have ten other games like ours in this. Yeah. I wouldn't feel like there's competition. I would I think it would only help to have have more games like this. So uh, that was something yeah. I, I liked about it as well. Yeah, in terms of bridging gaps too, I I think that one thing that we overlooked uh, and that doesn't always get asked about is um, in the blind low vision community themselves, there are you know a, a vocal minority of really, really enthusiastic uh, players, um, both in our community and with audio games in general. But in addition to that, there's also people who have never touched games before because uh, as far as they know, it's a medium that excludes uh, their capabilities. Um so I think that aside from bridging mainstream gamers and blind low vision gamers, we also really want to open up the um, gaming as a possibility for everybody in the blind low vision community, uh, because there are a lot of people who just you know haven't given it a shot, despite the fact that uh, it is you know a huge. There are games that fit that niche, and it is certainly a possibility for them to enjoy games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am. Um... The the only games I can think of that I mean because personally I'm not um, I mean, it, super up on that space, but what I do know is that there are certain games that could be in that space that aren't there. Are like a, like a couple games that um, like Stifled and um, Perception, which are you know theoretically about a, a visually impaired character, but the game is like uses them as like Daredevil. You know, it's like yeah. the, the echo location games, and I'm like I don't know that's that's not really what it's like being. Blind being blind actually yeah it's, it's definitely a, they're using it as a horror element um right. because it isn't accessible um it's it's actually a, a visual representation of blind i'm thinking of uh perception by the way yeah um and uh it, it's it's frightening and scary and interesting but it, and uh and potentially uh, i don't know what the communities thinks I, I feel like i should know what the community feels about these games but uh it's uh, uh again because it's not accessible it's it's not on on the radar and uh uh, but it, it could still be uh, a, a bridge, if well done, to 
uh, an aware there could be an awareness aspect to it for for sighted players to to think about things and experience. And mm-hmm. there's certainly still an aspect of that in our game. I mean, it was a it was something that was brought up very early. The trope of a of a uh, of a sighted developer making a game all audio game where the main character was blind. It's it's quite common uh, even in the hobbyist uh, world. Um, but that is where I started with the idea of experience as a writer. I wanted to think about an interesting experience and, uh, and that's where the game started. And very quickly I needed to assure people in the community that no, as a writer, I, I, this will be a well-rounded character, a real character and, and the blindness, uh, although it, it sets up the mechanics of having no visuals in the game, uh, this character isn't defined by the blindness. It's a fully well-rounded character and, and there's uh, people from the community voicing the game and, and things. So there's uh, as much as I felt I needed to do on that with those respects to, um, you know, not, nothing about us without a sort of scenario where um, the, the where we do engage with the community. And because I come from outside of the community, I, I don't have a personal connection like a, a family member. My, my friends in the blind community have all been made in, in the making of this game. And, uh, uh, but again, I, I feel like what's important is that, and I, I think this goes for game development in general, is that it's, you know, r- rather than sitting around thinking of what, what needs are out there, I, I feel like you should start with what you're good at. And, I th- you know, just isolating um, the getting performances out of actors and the sound design of this piece I felt like a piece. It sounds so pretentious, but the game, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, I'm like, yeah, I, c- I can do that well. Um, and I'm not an artist. Uh, so I feel like it's an honest place to start. And then I started realizing, wow, there, there is a, a, a group out there that could, that could use this, or at the very least, um, I could, I could bring, uh, add to the library that's out there and hopefully encourage more gamers to, or, uh, developers to come along. Um, like just think of all the, audio content that's in something like the witcher or mm-hmm. um or any of the rpgs and if uh we can uh, sort of continue to develop mechanics uh that allow that to be delivered uh in interesting ways uh, maybe this will become a, a bit of a norm uh whether it's through you know modes in some games or or at the very least people taking uh content similar to what's in the witcher and developing it into an a accessible experience yeah, no, I, I get it. I think that that's that's pretty cool, and um, I think that what you're saying about uh, being an outsider into the community is is like a lot of people are afraid to explore spaces in new communities because they're they are fundamentally afraid of being seen as an outsider and seen as exploitative. Yeah, but I think that's a, it's a natural fear to have, um, and I think it's good to be aware of it, but I, I don't think that people should be afraid of entering into a new space just because they are an outsider. I think I think that that's like um something we talk about a lot now in our current, like what's the word I'm looking for in our current climate. It's very, very common to say like outsiders shouldn't talk about this or that, but and I'm not trying to make this a larger point than it is. The point I'm making is that you shouldn't be afraid to explore new things just because they're foreign. I think that that kind of increases the sense of alienation that a lot of, you know, like the people that are visually impaired, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a community that you shouldn't be afraid to explore just because you're afraid of putting your foot in your mouth. Or, yeah, we, or we were we were concerned about that, Jamie. If you want to talk a little bit to like, because we early on we we wanted to engage with the community, and the uh, initial steps were incredibly positive. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you want to talk to that, Jamie. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you mentioned it a, a few minutes ago um, about using verbiage that's tied to vision. Um, yeah, it, it was a thing that I was concerned about at first, but it was really quickly alleviated. Um, and I'm really happy to be able to say that the blind low vision community has been super welcoming, super helpful, appropriately critical. Um, we work heavily with, um, uh, Martin Curselis is our, uh, technology supervisor in the, uh, is that his official title? I feel like the official uh, title is a little better. Yeah, than that. Accessibility consultant. I think that's, that's much, more, that yeah. sounds much more apt. Yeah. yeah. Accessibility consultant. Sorry, Martin. Um, and uh, he's uh, been super, super invaluable about being able to run things by him. Um, but also I want to throw shout outs to audiogames.net. The whole community there uh, is very vibrant, very vocal. Uh, and what you said about, you know, not being afraid to jump into a community that you're not um, representative of is uh, super important. Um, I, I don't think there's going to be that bridging of the divide that we want if um, we can't interact with that community and if both the you know mainstream gaming community can't interact with the blind low vision gaming community. I mean, at the end of the day, we all like video games, so it's the same community to me. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot uh, a, a lot of positivity surrounding those interactions yeah and if that or if those early steps had been different we, we probably wouldn't have done the project or had the project go the way it did um, we needed to know it was going to be the right thing to do first um, and that's the one thing you take away from the focus testing and talking to the community is it's uh, any community is not a monolith so you're going to get all sorts of different uh, levels of game experience or, or desires for what kind of games you want to make and that's why ultimately I don't know that I would, it would ever be good for us to be uh, like the only person making games or, or just such a hand, a hand, small handful of people making games. Cause what if they don't like my writing style or the games we make or all sorts of things you could hate about a game? Uh, you know, you'd, you'd be so limited. So the idea of getting more people in this space, I think is, is probably the, from an advocacy angle, maybe the most important thing we, we could do, um, is encourage people with good content to find ways to get it here. Mm hmm. No, I think it's great. Um, and uh, I, the accessibility angle is, I think, going to be what a lot of people want to talk about. And it is also what I want to talk about. Um, but, you know, I, I also want to ask about the game. I mean, I, it's, it seems uh, it's funny because, you know, you're talking about not tokenizing a group of people, yet I'm sure most of the questions uh, that are going to be levied your way are about the accessibility, which is essentially taking your game and using it, not necessarily as a game, but more as a, like a talking point. So tell me, tell me a little bit about how you translate these mechanics. How, how does the veil play? Right, yeah. Um, I, there's, it's broken up into two central um, mechanics. There's combat and then there's exploration, uh, which are obviously two tenets of adventure games. And uh, essentially, you need to wear uh, a... Uh, a stereo headset and the audio is all processed into binaural audio so if you know smr stuff sma whatever that is ASMR. Um, thank you um it's it's that uh sort of super intimate um yeah, I, spatialized I yeah. sound thing right um so that, all that's you know rendered at runtime and essentially in, in the combat scenario um, you can hear enemies moving around you. You can hear their footsteps. You can hear the little details. And that's really what, as an experience for anybody, um, I think is, is novel is that intimacy that you're not just 
hacking away at groups of people in like say a, a dungeon crawler scenario um you are hearing someone who absolutely feels like they're really there you can hear all the elements of them you can hear their armor moving around you can hear their footsteps you can hear their breathing and then you're listening for all these clues as to what they're going to do attack wise and essentially uh i would say with the controller is probably the best way to play the game it works on keyboard as well but <clears throat> you're uh, reacting to uh, attacks by blocking them potentially or um or interrupting their attacks and uh and then counterattacking or or striking out with specific attacks uh, in a, a melee scenario. And then there's uh, adventure scenarios where you move around a soundscape, which is all rendered in 3D, and you can hear things you might um, beacons that you you know you want to go to, like a blacksmith shop or a tavern to get quests. Uh, or there's little details that are hidden in the world as well, like a dog like whimpering in a corner. You can go up and interact with it, and then it becomes your companion. So there's all these little sort of um, uh, things that reward players for for detail. So it's really it's not it's never about ma- maze navigation or bumping into walls. It's basically putting you in soundscapes and rewarding players that are willing to listen carefully for things. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, not making it frustrating or difficult to do the obvious important things that don't really need reward. For example, getting to the blacksmith shop to to upgrade your weapon. Um, mm-hmm. So did I answer that? Is that that's. Yeah, I'm just curious Anyone? how you do a lot of the inventory stuff, like uh, like oh, actually yeah. how you yeah. know how much gold you have, and then once you do enter into, like, let's say you have the dog, how do you actually approach it? Right, that's a great yeah. se- segue. Um, I think uh, to make what is important and evident about the way we handle it, it's important to know um, uh, how a lot of other games uh, handle similar things. So in a lot of audio games, um, there are... Uh, indicators that are used as analogs to either uh, a sighted game or or the sighted world. For example, if you're uh, exploring a city, um, there is a uh, like robot or Microsoft Sam voice explaining to you that you are in a path A of the city and you are approaching intersection two and it maps everything out in a number by letters grid or um, in a menu, it will speak out every menu option that you have. Uh, because Dave's priority was to craft a really immersive narrative experience we wanted to try to do away with as much of that as possible and have every mechanic in the game be represented organically through the experience of the player character so for things like uh um an interaction with uh the blacksmith. You um, use the signifier of the blacksmith's um, smithy, smithery, smithy. His the anvil. Place, yeah, well, the, oh, it is I know anvil, the place forge, where a forge, black Jamie. forge. Yeah, thanks. I know blacksmiths. Um, and uh, yeah, you hear the sound of the anvil in the distance. If you approach the anvil, you have walked into the blacksmith shop. You engage in a conversation about what it is you want to buy, and per item, he'll let you know. Uh, you know, do you have the gold for this? You can. It costs ten gold. You have five gold. If you can sell something, you can talk about selling something. So it's all uh, around these organic experiences, and we've tried to approach a middle ground between having a lot of uh, depth or content with the mechanics. For example, with gear, we didn't want a Diablo's amount of gear for players to have to go through their inventory and manage, but we do want players to experience um, 
uh, that they're getting better gear over time. So there is gear that you can find that you get explained is better than what you have, and there are some gear that has mechanical differences, but we've tried to make the decisions fewer and more impactful and more important so that they can be experienced in that organic style as opposed to inundating people with uh, you know, spoken aloud menus uh, or anything that might seem overly cumbersome. Mm-hmm. No, I mean that that's that's the question is how do you make something uh, streamlined enough that people who are normally reliant on uh, using their site can can still access it, but also so that it's not um, overly simplified for the people who are used to not having that faculty available to them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Ultimately, I think what we what we achieved, if anything, is uh, is the continued immersion of the, of the experience. So rather than this being seen as oh, well, obviously they couldn't make the game as complex um, if they wanted to be accessible. Uh, the the way I think it turns out is that uh, it it has a seamless quality of uh, feels more like a cinema. When you talk to blacksmith, it, it doesn't feel like you're going through inventory choices. It feels like you're bartering with them or talking to them or seeing. You know, he has funny things to say or interesting things to say about the items. He has some items he doesn't want to part with. But some items like he's there's more flavor in that. Uh, but then of course you can only uh, have uh, you know five four or five options uh, in those scenarios. Uh, because they become unwieldy, so that's that's the uh, I guess that's the trade-off. But ultimately, it's it's not just about accessibility; it's also about um, um, it, it's also about experience, which I think we we do give value to. <laughs> There's some kind of dog in the background. That, it feels that like I'm playing. My, that, that would be my dog. Yeah. <laughs> Am I supposed to now feel like I can approach the dog to give it bacon yeah. and make friends with it? Is that the experience we're going? With? She is 100% the dog that is in the game too. So you just got a little little uh, preview of. Of the dog. Yeah, that's from an exclusive. Leo. It's an exclusive. Uh, yeah. my, my girlfriend worked on um, the Blair Witch game, and uh, which had a dog in it. And so she sent me the mocap test of their dog. She's like, look at the, the cute mocap test of the dog. And it's just like a watermelon with like a mocap thing on it that they move around <laughs> to make it look like its head. I just thought that was so funny. Uh, anyways, um, Jesse, do you have any questions? Hey, sorry. I uh, I was muted. Um, well, I guess my question would be, how does, how does gameplay work? Uh, like what are, what are the controls? How do, how do you teach somebody who can't look and see which button says Y on it, uh, or yeah. what the keyboard says? How do you, how do you, how do you overcome those kind of hurdles? There's a, yeah, there's a few things for one. There's, there is, uh, within the, the sighted community, uh, sorry, the blind uh, community. There is um, uh, there's a comfort with with keyboard controls f- for many. Uh, however, uh, we did want the game to be able to be played by someone who has literally never played a game before. Um, so uh, we have these flashback scenarios where you're training with your uncle. So it still keeps it in in a story uh, feeling sort of scenario, and uh, we we do sort of break out and explain things in uh uh in detail uh but there were a couple things we realized we would need to do in terms of the simplicity of of the game uh it which one one is um uh assuming that you have a a game pad i don't know what other kind of control you could ever play with like (laughs) look at old school joystick but may not be very good for this but um we did move a lot of the basic menu interface like in and out uh except 
decline sort of scenarios and a lot of the choice scenario stuff to the right and left triggers, mainly because you could you could say right trigger or left trigger. And if you put them on the bumpers and the triggers, uh, we, just in testing, we realized people would get that right very often. And that again, you wouldn't have... You wouldn't have to know what the A, B, X sort of. I mean, that's uh, we eventually did bind those two A and B as well because cited people who who have understanding uh, or, or sorry familiarity with with controllers would be like, what the heck? The A, B button don't work, doesn't work. Um, but that was one thing we did, a concession we made. And then a lot of the other stuff is is right hand um, sort of intuitive. So uh, you're swinging your sword, is pushing in the direction you hear a sound uh, with the right stick. Again, it's easy to say the right stick. And then your blocking is on the left stick. So you've had the sense that you have a, a, sh a shield in your left hand and a sword in your right hand. So we broke it all into these sort of intuitive places. And then we did a lot of testing. Um, just to see how people who had never held a controller before would would take the information we we sent them um, or we we gave them in the game. And another thing, there's a couple little sleight of hand things we had to do in, in navigation. It's uh, other games have done this too in this space, but uh, it's tank control. So you turn on the spot. Okay. So basically, okay. you can pan your soundscape. You, you line up what you want to walk to, and then you push forward or walk backwards. There's no strafing. Well, people who are used to shooters on controllers, uh, immediately there's potentially a disconnect. Even though we can expressly say, you know, push right and left on the right stick or whatever to turn on the spot, push forward and back or whatever. It doesn't matter what you say. People will not hear it necessarily if they're expecting if there's a convention they expect. So um, there actually are visuals in the game for sighted people to, to – to uh, keep them from to make them understand, help them understand uh, this that setup, so you can clearly see that you're not strafing. You can see you're turning on the spot. Uh, the visually impaired community did not have this problem. They okay. Listen, okay. They listened to what we said, and they did it. Whereas <laughs> people who had preconceived ideas of how a joystick or a control should work uh, were ignoring it. So it ended up working out. Then um, that's pretty much the primary reason there's particles in the game. It's not to add any kind of mechanical advantage and that's in fact one of our things we don't want to do is no no visuals in the game should add any kind of advantage to playing the game uh but it's there to help uh sighted people get used to this this control that's super cool because yeah like i only you know i as a sighted person i only have the context of knowing how a game plays with my eyes uh so it's really interesting to hear your process and how you worked around it I suppose for sighted people, uh, you could offer like a like a advertise a VR headset that's just a sleep mask. Uh, <laughs> that's it's, it's happened. We have talked about the world's most expensive blindfold before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it actually, we have we do have it working on an Oculus for for potentially things we want to do down the road. And it's it's actually it does really enhance the experience in, for, in terms of intuitive the feel of of. Um, sort of, uh, what do you call it, spatializing, like knowing where things are. Um, for example, one of the, the, the key tricks to this game, once you understand the game, there's really no issue with this, but um, we have to fairly expressly tell the player that I am walking to stand in front of you and that enemies only really appear in front of you and around you to the right and the left because it is in the thick of things hard to distinguish whether something is behind you or in front of you. You start hearing them... So you have to always have this uh, mental geography laid out for you at the beginning of fights and and then trust that I never, as a jerk, put a character behind you, an enemy behind you. Yeah. Um, but this is something that uh, goes away immediately when you have head tracking. So um, if you could turn your head slightly, you can immediately 
you immediately intuitively know where something is. Uh, and there's a little element of that, certainly, when you're if you're doing any ranged fighting. There's actually a, a section of the game before you go into melee where you're given sometimes the opportunity to ambush enemies and sneak up on them or sneak around them. And you can hear them in the soundscape and, and using the tank controls, you're moving through, trying not to run into them or setting up a good place to ambush them. Uh, and then fire arrows. Well, in those cases, of course, you could locate the enemy by just turning a little bit left and right as you're setting up the shot to kind of understand uh, whether they're behind you or in front of you. But uh, that, that was actually one of the biggest technical challenges initially was uh, giving people that um, sense of where stuff was um, and uh, – and helping, uh, again, mostly the sighted community get that, because uh, anybody who's played audio games in the visually impaired community, they're quite used to working for that. Uh, and again, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible, but it's also a community that that has been playing sighted games for sighted people for years, many of them, uh, and doing some incredible things to make that happen. I, uh, I have one other question. I was just wondering, yeah. so as sighted people programming it, how do you... How do you go about, like, I don't know. I don't really know how to ask, like, what's your process for creating the game? Like, do you render, like, a 3D environment and then mm. figure it yeah. out from there? And then just put a, uh, like, remove the camera? I'm trying yeah. to, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, we, um, I mean, the nice thing is we, they don't, nothing has to look great. Um, characters, um, uh, and actually, this was something that came up very early in, in developing uh, or setting up the focus tests is I mean, these little things you just don't think about <laughs> until you, you do it is uh, how do you know what someone's doing when they're playing the game <laughs> if they've got a headset on? So what we did have to set up a situation where you could monitor people playing, you could put on a headset and listen to where they are. Um, but we did have a very early on, we had debug views where we could see a top-down view of the space. And I would just turn the screen away from the person playing it so they're never utilizing that in gameplay. So I could kind of see what was happening. Um, but I think now we're at a point where we kind of got the broad strokes of, of everything and how it needed to work. So right now, that's only for developing uh, and placing objects. And every object has a, a physical uh, like a physical has a visual aspect to it, some sort of cube. And I, I, and every enemy is made up of a, a little body collider and then a little thing representing their head and their feet because it's ambisonic binaural audio. So height matters too. You can hear when something's lower or higher. Uh, and there's a little stick that's the sword. So all these things have visual reference in the, in the, uh, the scene. So as a designer or I guess level designer, you really do lay things out spatially, uh, as a, as a, visual image which i would think you would you would do anyway you're always going to imagine things in some sort of real world 3d space even if you were doing it literally without visuals like placing sound somehow uh without seeing them um i, I would imagine you're always visualizing uh things in some sort of 3d application uh but all the attenuation and all the things that happen process wise are based around real world um, distances so everything is scaled properly people are the right height walls are the right height and some of it that didn't matter in the end, but uh, we never knew what we might want to do during development in terms of like reflections. Maybe wall height starts to matter or ceilings matter, um, but it's a very bare bones representation of a space. Um, and then when people play it, we can see the particles, so we can have some idea of, of how they're turning. And uh, we basically do focus testing now where we can listen in on someone's experience and we know the space well enough to know what the heck's going on. Very cool. Yeah, that's a that's a super fascinating process. I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, this seems like a very unique 
way to like I I doubt any other studio, even the sound design people for other games, uh, go to this these kinds of lengths to like it's I don't know. It really makes me think about how dependent on uh, sight we are. Like it's yeah. basically the main sense that I use. Yeah, there, there's been this <laughs> number one, ten thousand years running. Number one that we use. Only we use common sense. Oh, oh god! <laughs> hang on, hang on! I gotta make a boomer comic. I'll be right back. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. Sorry, we interrupted. Someone was talking about something. Oh, I was just gonna say. I, I think that yeah, we um have kind of noticed this interesting duality. Uh, of a learning curve that we've had to adjust to from both sides of the community we want to build. There are so many things that we've come across that we didn't expect to be a hurdle for sighted players, uh, never mind the things that were completely unknown to us from the blind low vision community. So trying to, um, I guess, uh, enact our, des- our design philosophy of wanting to uh bridge these communities uh, is something that we've had to constantly learn and adapt to both with regards to how we're developing, but also the kind of feedback that we're taking into consideration. Uh, And I'd like to think, I do think at this point that we have done a job that is going to be appealing and, and representative equally. Um, and hopefully ticks everybody's boxes for the things that they're expecting from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it sounds great. Um, so when, when will people be able to get their hands on it? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, we, uh, we were planning, I think we're, we're, we last time when we announced, we said uh, Q2. Um, so by the end of June, I think that's technically uh, Q2. We'd like to say in the biz, we like to say things like Q2. Um, and the only thing that, that, uh, puts that in jeopardy would be the coronavirus in that, um, we are locked down here in Ontario, um, for any kind of non-essential work, uh, cannot be done. And, uh, we have about two days of voice recording left, um, to finish the game. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're kind of, that's, that's the main linchpin in that. So, um, but the idea would be sometime in June, I would, I would hope so. Um, but, um, we, we will, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how we'll handle that to be quite honest. Like what will be the moment, I guess the moment we know we can record, we'll be able to set a, a date at that moment. Yeah. And that is going to be available on steam on, uh, itch.io is our, uh, platform of choice, uh, for accessibility, uh, and Xbox as well. Okay, cool. And, um, what's the price point you think it's going to be at launch? Um, we're, we're talking. Uh, there's other games in a similar genre that are usually around twenty, so they're nineteen ninety nine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I you know, we haven't actually had this conversation intimately with with uh, Xbox and stuff. So, uh, but that's that's always been our plan um, to be somewhere around there. But but we'll see. So um, yeah, I I think that's that sounds. I mean, it's it sounds like a really ambitious project. You know, like uh, the fact that you're trying to make a full RPG like this rather than just uh, so often it's like a, like a, like a glorified tech demo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's great. Um, and if people want to find out more about the game, where can they go? 
they can go to uh, fallingsquirrel.com. They can check us out on Twitter at fallingsquirrel, uh, facebook.com slash fallingsquirrel. I think that covers those ones. Uh, oh, and we're on audiogames.net. If anybody's more interested about audio games in general, definitely check out audiogames.net. There's a ton of resources there for people you can talk to, games that you can get for free, and all the updates about the veil end up there as well. Yeah. Oh, and awesome. Steam. Probably wishlist is on Steam. We're probably yes. supposed to say that, right? Yeah, wishlist yeah. is on, <laughs> on Steam. Whatever. Uh, I don't know. Like Maybe like uh, wishlist the game or something. Check it out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for, for tuning in today or uh, joining us today. I, I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything else you want to say before we, we head out? No, we always like talking about this game. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to, to uh, you know, bring it to another audience, I hope. Yeah, yeah thank well, you so much. I just want to say thank you so much for, for making it. I always like to see what kind of new... Uh, okay, so my life is like, what's the newest mod that put in Resident Evil 3? You make it so that the bad guy looks like Pennywise the Clown. Because like that's, I, I run a horror website and I just got to do that because that's what gets the clicks and that's how I feed myself. Yeah. But uh, personally, like you know, my my own personal passion comes from things like this, things that are they're different, new, unique that people uh, should, in my opinion, be aware of. And um, thank you so much for making it, and I'm I'm really looking forward to finally being able to play it when it comes out eventually this year hopefully <laughs> yes no thank you yeah thank you so much um and then the rest of you guys at home thank you so much for tuning in uh it's really been great to see people that are tuning in week after week watching the podcast grow um we've got a lot of we've had a lot of really great guests um this episode should be coming out right after the episode we did with frictional games so go ahead and check that out the guys behind soma amnesia uh we had a really great interview with Airdorf a few weeks ago for uh, who made faith and uh, we've got a lot of really cool stuff coming out from you. Uh, I, I think that by the time this podcast is going live, that other cool stuff will be in the process of happening or perhaps announced. I'm not sure, but hopefully uh, you'll find out more about it soon. Um, so thank you guys so much, and uh, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Bye. And then it cuts. And once again, whose side are they on? They're, they're mourning a terrorist who killed our troops in, you know, in Benghazi and uh, was trying to kill them again. What are they doing? That's some serious mind control that they're under. Here's a new book I got I want to show you. My sister sent me this, and I'm going to be writing about it and talking to you about it. Look how cool. Poisoner in Chief. What's happening? What's happening? Seriously. What's happening? And how does Hollywood fit into it? I'm talking about it. And I know more than probably your average bear. God bless America.